What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, take this bot and shove it. I'm Jonathan Strickland. <laughs> I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. As you might have guessed <laughs> from the thing that just came out of Jonathan's mouth, today we're going to be talking about robots. Robots and jobs. Yeah, as it turns out, we've had quite a few listeners and viewers of Forward Thinking ask us to cover this topic. It's it's one that's had a lot of uh, coverage in the media, and so we're looking at robots and jobs. Right. Well, specifically the question, will robots steal our jobs? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, which is kind of a terrific headline, which I think is part of why it's so popular in the media. Yeah. But but I mean, it captures our imagination in a very specific way, because I mean, we are all seeing all of this automation that we've never seen before uh, kind of come up and and influence our workforce in very interesting ways. Yeah, not just in uh, in the ways that have been traditionally depicted, like in manufacturing, mm-hmm. you know, heavy manufacturing, but in ways that 
affect, you know, white collar jobs as well. And we're going to cover all this kind of stuff. But, uh, let's, let's look down memory lane because Joe, you pulled up something fascinating, something I had heard but never looked into. And you really found some information that, that taught me some stuff. Well, I want to get to the core of what we're talking about, which is not just robots in the sense of the way we picture them, which is a thing with legs and arms, you know, this vaguely it's humanoid. Gort, basically. Yeah. Right. I go with uh, Robbie the robot, but that's that's classic. Generally, we're talking about all automation. Uh-huh. Any, any way in which a machine can do a job that previously could have only been done by a human. Sure. Or an animal, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how about the Luddites? You all know the Luddite, that's not just a term we call each other when we, like, you know, accidentally send a text message to the wrong person or something like that. It's actually <laughs> a historical group. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know who they were, right? Well, well I do now because you did the research, Joe. Oh, the, well, they hated machines, right? Yeah, that's, right. The, that's the whole thing. That's the, were... way I've, the way I've always heard it used is, yeah, it's people who just – Doggone it can't either grasp technology and therefore they hate it because of that or they just outright think that new stuff is bad. I, For some reason, I assumed it was people who had some kind of aesthetic or religious opposition to technology in mm-hmm. general. And turns out I was being a total nano rod because that is not <laughs> what the Luddites were. So the original Luddites were a movement of textile workers in England in the early 1800s, and they were not against technology in general. Uh, they were famous for, like, burning factories and smashing factory machines, but not because they believed machines were evil. In fact, they were more or less a labor movement. Oh, uh, huh. They were probably workers who used machines themselves in their jobs, and they arose from conditions of economic trouble and unemployment in Great Britain that was part of a depression during and following the Napoleonic Wars in the early 1800s. So they were seeking better employment, more work, better wages. But part of the problem they perceived with the labor market then was the so-called labor-saving devices and machines, which often meant that the same manufacturing job that used to require a skilled craftsperson could be performed by a machine or for a lower wage by an unskilled worker paired with a machine. Mm-hmm. So in a kind of certain qualified sense, machines took their gerbs and yeah. they weren't happy about it. And you can understand why. Oh, yeah, sure. We've heard the same story, the, the apocryphal story that sabotage comes from the sabo thrown into the cogs of the machine. Yeah. Uh, from, but similar stories like... Uh, and we, Joe, you and I had a had a brief conversation before we came in to record the podcast. We were just kind of talking about the subject. And we mentioned that this this complaint was, again, about the loss in jobs, not necessarily technology. If, in fact, the manufacturers had found a super cheap source of labor, the same problem would have existed. It wasn't right. just that it was a machine. Yeah, if you could have just found people who would do the same jobs cheaper and take those jobs away from these workers, or, that would also be a problem. Yeah, found a really easy way to train horses to do it or sure. yeah, whatever. Right. Horses are terrible at weaving, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know they 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 just lack all manual dexterity. Uh, but in economics... would be great? No, in England it would have had to be rabbits, right? So they had a factory. They would have factories of rabbits weaving cloth. I think it would be hares, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but uh, in, in economics, we call we call this this process substitution, where we use a machine to substitute for uh, human labor. Uh, and there's another 
idea called uh, complementarianism, complementing. So we're going to be talking a lot about substituting versus complementing in this podcast. But as long as humans have been innovating, we've had this issue to some extent. I mean, if you look at agriculture, and we'll talk a lot about agriculture, uh, you know, just the advent of the plow made a lot of of changes because now you didn't need as many human workers hoeing the fields Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as you did before. And so this is not a new idea by any extent. It goes back, you know, centuries. But we see it uh, accelerated in the era of technological advances and development. Yeah. And so I think a good place to start with the most recent modern incarnation of this worry that that machines, automation, robots will take our jobs is this pretty optimistic article that Kevin Kelly wrote for Wired in December of 2012. It's called Better Than Human, Why Robots Will and Must Take Our Jobs. Um, And Kelly says this. 200 years ago, 70% of American workers were farmers. Uh, by about 100 years after that, it was some 40%. Yeah. Uh, I read in another article entirely, but I wanted to toss that in. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that, that particular term, the 200 years ago, 70% of American workers were farmers, showed up a lot in our research. Joe, yeah. Joe did an amazing job of gathering tons of articles on this subject. And I must have read that one statistic at least six or seven times. Well, it's as though people on the internet sometimes use the same sources. It might be. <laughs> or each other. Yeah. Well, it's a startling figure because apparently, according to Kelly, only 1% of those previous farming jobs remain today. Yeah. And that's because of automation. Right. So automation, all of these jobs that used to require humans or animals to be done on farmland have pretty much all been replaced by machines now. But but Joe, what happened to all those people who formerly had been working on farms? Well, now they have other jobs. Oh, okay. Or, so, I mean, some of them might be unemployed, but mm-hmm. the ones who are employed have found other jobs to do, either other jobs using the equipment that has created automation on farms, so mm-hmm. now they can drive a tractor mm-hmm. or, 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 or help m- make a tractor. Yeah. yeah, build a tractor, do maintenance on Operate a farm equipment. Operate the chicken milking machine, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe they work in IT. Or maybe they Maybe they moved bloggers. to a city and, yeah, yeah, yeah. did something else. So, right? in other words, we see job creation as well, some innovation, and uh, which, again, necessity, mother of invention, right? Huh. Sure. But Kelly goes on from that to claim that over the next century, so in the next, like, 90 years, the same trend will continue. 70% of today's jobs will be replaced by automation. Wow. And if that obviously that's just a speculation, we, sure. we can't know for sure. But if that's true, what does that mean for the world? Right. Will we continue to see the same sort of uh, of of progression where new jobs get created that are totally either dependent upon the fact that we have robots or or just totally new that people then uh, will enter into? And I mean, it's it, it's a very exciting thing to think about, but also a little bit terrifying. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Right. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to lose their job. Right. I mean, your right. job, your job is you in many ways. It's a it's, huge part of your identity and it's how you make your money, which is how you do everything else that isn't your job. Exactly right. I mean, it, without your job, you're in big trouble. Sure. So we all like to think that our jobs can't be replaced by robots. There is no way a computer program or an autonomous robot or some other kind of machine could do my job, right? 
right? Right. Right. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. There are some people who have made, I think, pretty convincing cases that, yes, your job will be replaced by a robot almost no matter what you do. It, the chances are... Whatever you do, it's probably going to be done by a machine before too long. Uh, now, the before too long does require a little more examination because yeah. some some jobs uh, are more easily automated than others. Right. So, so jobs, for example, that have a repetitive action that must be done over and over, mm-hmm. those are prime candidates to be replaced by a computer or by a machine. And we've seen that happen already. Things like uh, Amazon's warehouses, where they're depending more and more heavily upon robots, including robotic shelves that will uh, zoom over to the packaging line whenever someone orders a specific item and then zoom back to where they were supposed to be. So instead of uh, a worker going out to retrieve something from a shelf, the shelf comes to the worker. Right. On the other hand, jobs that require a lot of flexibility where you're constantly moving from different kinds of tasks to other ones, those are going to be harder to automate. Right. But we shouldn't be able to count on them being indefinitely difficult to automate Mm -hmm. or at least to divide up among many other automated machines that can do the different parts of the tasks. Um, So I think we should look first at... uh, there was a book that came out called Race Against the Machine by uh, Eric Brynjolfsson and Andrew McAfee. And they have made the case that, yeah, technology is very much going to be replacing jobs. Now, they might have a spin on it that says that's not necessarily a bad thing. But what's their case? Well, you know, they do say the sort of things we've been talking about already, that technology has always replaced jobs and that this is something that we've seen throughout history. But they claim that also, you know, this current era we're in is a little different from others, uh, that we've seen we're seeing more of the replacement and more automation and, uh, quote, less of the complementing and creating of new jobs, end quote. So in other words, there was an era early in the 2000s that we're still in where we saw a dip in uh, the number of jobs that were available but an increase in productivity, which was kind of unprecedented, mm-hmm. where we didn't see the jobs rebound. We saw the productivity hold steady, but we didn't see new jobs being created. And there's a potential that this could be, uh, you know, a long term trend, not something that is a little, you know, a just blip. blip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andrew McAfee gave a TEDx talk in Boston in June 2012 where he showed as part of his presentation, the data on the Great Recession, um, where where it seemed that, okay, as, as things started getting better toward the end of the Great Recession, uh, we were seeing GDP come back up. We were seeing profits come back up. It, it looked like, from a zoomed-out level, that the economy was doing better again, except the number of people employed did not rebound at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you may be experiencing a situation here where, the economy as a whole might be doing fine, but lots of people aren't. Yeah, yeah. and well, it also depends on how you're defining how well the economy does. If you're, right. if, if, if you're the, talking about total wealth generated, right? If you you're know. looking at it as a measurement of the number of people employed or percentage of employment, then yeah. it's not doing so well. Right. Uh, right. Right. Well, I mean, there, there's this is a multi-factor issue, of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, Partially related to how hard you can convince people to work uh, right. for a lower amount of money. but Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, and that's 
got to compete with automation also, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, uh, would it be cheaper to hire somebody to work for a really low wage or to just pay up for the robots to do it for us? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a calculated decision that the uh, the employer must make. Can mm-hmm. you compete with increasingly efficient automation? That's a tough decision. But anyway, uh, so McAfee said pretty much, yes, the droids are definitely coming for our jobs. <laughs> Uh, even the jobs of knowledge workers, he claims. So it's not just the 3.5 million truck drivers in the United States should be worried about the Google autonomous car. They should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's also that, for example, finance writers should have their eye on algorithms that can already write perfect journalistic reports on stock performance based off of the daily data that comes in. So you can send this program some numbers and it'll generate a completely perfect report on the stock performance in English that can be read by humans. There are plenty of other examples of this, too. There are, in fact, lots of, of uh, trading algorithms that, that stock traders are depending more and more heavily upon. In fact, we talked about that in the previous episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. It used to be people crunching numbers, and now it's computers crunching numbers way better than the people really yeah. could have. Now, I don't want to give the wrong impression about McAfee because he's revealed in other places and uh, He's he's basically an optimist about the overall implications of technology for human existence. He's, mm-hmm. You know, we can do good things with it, but there there are different paths that we could take from here, and some of them might not be good. Right. Uh, and almost all of them are going to invo- involve the droids taking our jobs. That's ca- that's going to be hard to escape at this point. Right. Again, it's a question of time scales. Oh, right. Right. And also uh, the the thing where in here in, in, in America, our jobs have not really increased in, uh, in alignment with automation, but that's not true for all countries, is it? No. Well, for example, the IFR, the International Federation of Robotics, they, I found a piece where they were drawing attention to a study showing that in some countries, rates of employment grew alongside increased use of industrial robots. But then at the same time, I, I found an interesting observation made by a piece, uh, in April 2013 in the MIT Technology Review, where they pointed out this study cited by the International Federation of Robotics, which, by the way, is a trade organization for robotics, so they sort of have a... A bias. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Um, uh, Pointed out that this study they're referring to is talking about dangerous and stupid robots that are not very versatile. Uh, The the ones that are cutting out our car bits, maybe not the ones that are potentially handling our children. Exactly right. So the effect could be very different when a smarter next generation robot shows up that can more effectively replace human workers without needing so much handling. Now, that being said, uh, David Autor of MIT has actually expressed some skepticism that machines will take over most jobs for the foreseeable future. Now, he doesn't say that it's uh, you know, that we're always going to have people in these jobs and that's, that's going to be the fact forever and ever. But rather that this may be a longer timeline than what some people, uh, might have you believe. He points out that we've made machines that are really good at handling those repetitive, predictable tasks, but they aren't, like we said, as good at flexible ones, uh, and responding to situations that have dynamic conditions, like a human interaction. So in <laughs> other words, like if you've ever had to call into, any kind of um, of tech support where you get the automated menus. The automated menus are really good at channeling you to the specific person 
who can help you. They're not so good at being able to handle the actual problem. I don't know if they're always even as good at the first thing you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I've called into some and I've been like, none of the options you just listed are what I want. Well, that that's, that uh, is, again, another limitation on the system, though, right? I mean, if it were a person that you were talking to, they could at least respond by saying, oh, well, then the best place to funnel your problem is to this person. Uh, so that's kind of his point, is saying that, you know, machines are not that great at those kind of tasks mm-hmm. and there's no reason to believe that artificial intelligence is going to reach a point that will make them comparable to human performance. Uh, In terms of things like problem solving and common sense. Yeah, common sense, critical thinking, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That that sort of stuff is largely going to be in the human domain for the foreseeable future. Not that machines will never uh, have a, a, a stab at this kind of thing, but that it's not as uh, it's not as imminent as something like the automation of routine, uh, the, like the dangerous, dirty uh, jobs that a lot of, of robotic uh, experts talk about, you know, these machines taking over for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the experts in general are really divided on how they think all of this is going to play out. I mean, you know, it's, it's easy for us being a relatively uh amateurish in our opinions yeah, and you sure. know you know but but these the people who work in this industry every day can't really agree whether this is leading to a utopia or a dystopia it's a coin flip well yeah it almost is because there was a pew survey released in august 2014 that polled almost 2000 experts in relevant fields like robotics or economics or ai about the effects of robotics and ai on our economies and the results were that 52% of these experts predicted a, quote, optimistic path, which entailed, quote, a future in which robots and digital agents do not displace more jobs than they create, unquote. And at the same time, 48% of the experts predicted a pessimistic outcome in which robots, quote, will displace significant numbers of both blue and white collar workers. And many of the experts expressed concern that this will lead to vast increases in income inequality, masses of people who are effectively unemployable, and breakdowns in the social order. That's that's what we would call a uh, a, a bad outcome. Yeah, it would be chaotic. It would be, uh, and we'll talk more about that kind of uh, dystopian uh, outcome in the uh, a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. Now, some people, I guess, would argue that it's not so stark that a robot will either just completely do your job like replace you outright right but that more robots may sort of enter the workforce in middle roles Mm -hmm. yeah you know what i mean this is that complementary approach to the idea that we will have machines that will complement what we do yeah uh construction is a really good example of how this is working today because you know we've got a lot of machines that do the heavy lifting and the precision cutting and stuff like that but this this work does in fact complement not replace skill construction workers who can do the planning and the physical control and the in-the-moment judgments. Right. right. It's that flexibility we mentioned mm-hmm. that the workers themselves have that the robots don't have. I mean, a robot is really good at doing one thing over and over, but it can't walk around the site and, you know, figure out what's the next job that somebody needs help with. Right. right. Uh, robot surgery is another great example. The robot surgery tools are tools. They are extensions of an actual human surgeon. The human surgeon uses a device that allows him to or her to make uh, the the incisions. And, 
you know, you have the robotics that are able to translate those movements into actual uh, actions against the patient. So you could have larger movements being translated into very precise movements on the robotic scale. Yeah, um, yeah. T- together, the machine and the human can be more precise than either would have been able to be alone. Right. So the human can make human decisions. The robot can translate motions into very precise movements. And you get the best of both worlds. But again, it's it's complementary. It's not substitution. Now, I guess the question is, but how long will that be the case? Because as robots get smarter and more agile and more flexible, they're going to increasingly be able to do these things that right now we're feeling like, phew, only humans can do them. Well, yeah. I mean, let's... Go back to the driverless cars as an example. We talk about that in a positive sense, about how the cars are able to sense changing conditions much more quickly than humans are. So, for example, our, our human reaction time uh, means that when something happens, there's a delay between when we perceive it and when we can take any action. That delay is much, much shorter for a, a robotic system that mm-hmm. can react almost – I mean, to us, it seems instantly – uh, they can react to uh, changing conditions. So when we look at the example of the driverless cars, like Google's driverless cars, they've been involved in two accidents, neither of which were caused by the car, right? <laughs> and at least not the driverless car system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were both human error. I think one was when a human operator was operating the car under manual control. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Neither of them were the actual robotic system. So we can already see that at least in that in that kind of test scenario, because, of course, that's not a wide rollout. But we can see within that controlled test scenario that it appears the robots have the edge on us in that field already. So it it stands to reason that we will see this continue in other disciplines over time. Obviously, some are going to take a lot longer than others because some tasks are more innately human than others. Yeah. So I think a theme I'm seeing emerge in the question of will robots take our jobs is the people who are optimistic about it aren't usually saying, no, robots will not take most of our jobs. They're saying, yeah, they will, but it'll be okay for one reason or another. Yeah. It seems to be most people agree. Yeah. Robots are going to take a huge portion of our jobs that exist today. Maybe eventually all of them. Yeah. Uh, And so if they do take our jobs, The next question is, will this necessarily be a bad thing? And I want to revisit earlier I mentioned that Wired article from 2012 by Kevin Kelly. Mm -hmm. Um, And his whole point is that though robots and automation might eliminate old jobs, they will create new jobs and the new jobs will be better jobs. So I I want to read a quote from part of his article that I think sums this up pretty well. He says, in the coming years, robot driven cars and trucks will become ubiquitous. This automation will spawn the new human occupation of trip optimizer, a person who tweaks the traffic system for optimal energy and time usage. Routine robo-surgery will necessitate new skills of keeping machines sterile. When automatic self-tracking of all your activities becomes a normal thing to do, a new breed of professional analysts will arise to help you make sense of the data. And, of course, we will need a whole army of robot nannies dedicated to keeping your personal bots up and running. Each of these new vocations will, in turn, be taken over by robots later. And and so this sort of leads to where he proposes there's like a seven-stage cycle of automation and then uh, automation anxiety and then finally automation complacence, where first it seems like a robot could never do what you can do. Then you say... 
well, okay, it can do some of what I can do, but it can't do everything I can do. Mm-hmm. Then it says it can do everything I can do, but it needs me to take care of it when it messes up or breaks down. <laughs> Which but, happens all the time. Yeah. So this this would be like the copy machine jamming yet again. Yeah. Then he says, oh, well, okay, so it operates flawlessly on the routine, but I still need to tell it what to do. I need to train it for new tasks, he says. Then after that, Okay, it can just have that job. I, <laughs> I didn't it want was, it, it anyway. It was boring yeah. anyway. Because it's that job was not a good job for humans to do. And then the next stage is, wow, he's, quote, wow, now that robots are doing my old job, my new job is much more fun and pays much more. And then finally, I'm so glad a robot and computer cannot possibly do my new job. <laughs> and so the whole thing begins again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This actually reminds me also of what Dr. Henrik Christensen s- said when uh, I did the the um, forward thinking video episode from Georgia Tech. Yeah. And we talked about Robotics Week, and we looked at the various robots that they have in their in their labs. We mm-hmm. only saw a few of them. They were really fascinating. And he talked very much in this same kind of sense: the idea that. That robots are taking over the the three Ds, the dull, dangerous, and dirty jobs, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know we'll see that continue, and then we'll see it grow into the next round. But each time, it's like we're just a little bit ahead. Like you know, they they the robots catch up to us, and then we find the new thing to do. And people might ask, well, what's the new thing to do? And the honest answer is, we can't anticipate that. Mm-hmm. Sure. If you had looked back two hundred years ago. Before we got into the real industrial revolution and asked people, you know, what, what do you foresee? Like, if you explain to them, this job that you have is not going to exist in another decade or so, they wouldn't have been able to anticipate. Uh, sure. And this is also part of the problem with advancing technology and robotics and AI, because uh, it seems that the gap between the creation of new jobs and the creation of robots that can do them better than humans is closing. Or, or shortening at any rate. Yeah, that certainly could be the case. In fact, in response to that article by Kelly I was just talking about, uh, Gary Marcus wrote an interesting response in The New Yorker. It was also in December 2012. And Marcus argued that these new professions that Kelly claims will be created by automation are, will actually be taken over by robots just as easily and just as quickly. Uh, and, of course, Kelly says eventually they will be. But I think the idea is that there's no reason to think they'll lag behind all that long to be taken up by humans for any significant period of time in the meantime, you know. So as examples, he points out that there's already such a thing as the robot sterilization expert that, uh, that you know, Kelly claimed would be done by humans and that there are already forms of automated trip optimization. And this is a quote. With advances in both hardware and software, the time between the invention of a job and its automated replacement is getting shorter. Right? So that we're getting our, – our machines are getting better faster and that eventually there's not going to be much of a gap between when a new job is created and when a robot can do it pretty well. Yeah. Now, this seems to me to be based upon the assumption that this – this will be a continuously accelerating trend, very much the way we look at Moore's Law, how Moore's Law has meant that we see a doubling, effectively a doubling in computer power every 18 to 24 months, depending upon when you consult Moore's mm-hmm. Law. Um, and I don't know that it's safe to make that assumption. Software development is a, a different 
takes a different pathway than uh, the ability to cram more discrete components onto a square inch of silicon wafer. But mm-hmm. uh, but I do see where he's getting at, and I, I it's not that I have the data right in front of me to to dismiss it or to disagree. It just something to me says that we don't quite have the evidence to prove that this this trend we're seeing right now is going to be continuous. I think that we're, I think we'll continue to see advances. I just don't know that it'll always be at the same accelerated rate. So it may be that we're in a golden age of, of uh, development right now, but then things might hit a wall and slow down. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't have a way of knowing. Maybe they won't. Maybe they will continue the way he has predicted. Yeah. But I uh, yeah, yeah. again, like like the incredible future is incredible and unknowable. Um, <laughs> so so either way, uh, we have a couple of options for, yeah. for dealing with this potential situation. Right. right. So we've been talking a lot in, you know, kind of hypotheticals. But let's say that you are genuinely a person whose job is going to be eliminated because of automation. Yeah. Put yourself in this scenario. You are you come into work one Monday morning and your boss says, I just bought a robot that does exactly what you do. See ya. Yeah, you are no longer needed here. Uh, we wish you well on your <laughs> future opportunities. <laughs> um, so the the options are really one of two things. You can either go and look for another job you can do that isn't already being automated by other devices, which, uh, you know, depending upon your education level, you would you might have some limitations there or you go and pursue further education so that you can get a better job. One of the one that has not yet been automated. Yeah, uh, those are really your two. And most of the robotics experts that I've seen talk about this issue uh, tend to say that that's the the path they hope people all take the idea to to educate yourself to better yourself so that you can end up getting a better and more fulfilling uh, theory uh, well, job. Sure, which is a lovely idea, except the part where you're asking someone who's unemployed to somehow pay for education yeah. and also food. Yeah, um, this, this go is, back to school, get a new degree. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things that's really easy to say because you're talking about it like you know the idea on paper, and then mm-hmm. when you start getting into okay, let's avoid the whole paper subject. Let's talk about this as if it's a real event. I've just lost my job. I no longer have income. I still have outstanding uh, uh, bills to pay. Yeah. How do I do this or thing you're telling debts me to do? From the last time you educated yourself. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yes. Sure. Yeah. Some of us are. Some of us may still be carrying those student loan debts. Um, yeah. It's. It's. You know. When you get into those specifics, it gets to be a real issue. But uh, the thing to keep in mind is that people, unlike robots. We are flexible. We have that capability to switch gears. Mm-hmm. And then I made a joke about if you're a mechanical robot, you might physically be able to switch gears. But I'm talking the figurative <laughs> switching gears. We have the option of being able to say, you know, this is not working out for me or this is no longer an option for me. I need to pursue something else. And while it's easy to say that, I mean, obviously, personal circumstances might limit what you're your real opportunities are, but that's still more opportunities than a robot. A robot is built to do a specific task. Uh, we don't have any general purpose robots that can do anything. Mm-hmm. So, and we yeah. probably, and, well, and we, pr- I don't think we're going to within a century. I Me honestly neither. don't no. think we're going to get quite that far. Um, I think we will get there, but I think it's a harder problem than what a lot of the 
the the discussion has kind of led up to. Yeah. Um, the aforementioned David Autor of, of MIT mm-hmm. stresses how much we human laborers need to be training for and supplying tasks that will be complemented by automation, not substituted by it. Mm-hmm. Um, he calls this Polanyi's paradox after the mid-20th century philosopher Michael Polanyi, who said, we know more than we can tell. Um and to, to, to illustrate oh, this, I to, like that. yeah, yeah, to, to fall back on kind of our favorite example of machine learning here on this podcast, the cat identification problem. Yeah. Okay. Any toddler can identify a picture of a cat mm-hmm. or m- most of them at any rate. Sure. Um, but it took a network of 16,000 processors to figure out the same thing yes. in computer terms. Yeah. Um, so what does the toddler know that all of those computers had to learn? And okay, in this particular example, we've enumerated the answers multiple times here on this podcast. Um, but and and it was a lot, a lot of things was basically the answer. Yeah. Uh, but in a lot of other cases, the answer is uh, we we're not sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it has comes down to just the fact that the the wiring of the brain is so different from the classical computer. And we've talked about machine learning and neural networks and how they are a fraction of the complexity of an actual brain. I mean, they, they work on the same principle, but they are a tiny, tiny, you know, a minuscule example <laughs> of how a brain works. Because to produce anything that would operate on a brain's level would require a huge amount of electricity and a lot of processors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you that, know, that's something to keep in mind. So, so, I, it's a very optimistic view, or a relatively optimistic view, compared to some of the other uh, that that what forty eight percent of of naysayers out there who think that <laughs> things are going to be potentially terrible. Um, but is it a possibility that eliminating these jobs for humans would be okay? Yeah, that's another option we haven't. So we've talked about. It could be bad. Yeah. It could lead to uh, just massive unemployment, social unrest, and the breakdown of society. Dogs and cats living together. Yeah. Mass hysteria. It yeah. could be okay in that, well, we'll just keep creating new jobs. People, There will always be jobs for us, even as we replace the old ones. What if it's the case that we replace all the jobs, there are no jobs for people, and that's still okay? So we've eliminated <laughs> the need for labor. Could it be possible that we live in a world where labor is no longer necessary and we still are able to be people. Right. So there's this idea that you can create more wealth for everyone. You've probably heard this phrase, make the pie higher. Uh, right. Instead of making it bigger. Right. Yeah. Make this it higher. This great sure. for lemon meringue. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK. So the, the idea goes like this. Yes, replacing human workers with robots puts humans out of the job. But it could also create just a starkly enormous amount of wealth. Uh, the reason humans are being replaced by robots is that the robots are more efficient. They do the job better. They can do it faster. They can create more of something, uh, create more product or value in a shorter amount of time. And putting aside the cost of maintenance and procurement, you don't actually have to pay the robots. Mm-hmm. They're They're creating new wealth. So if this leads to societies that are flush with surplus money and and value, it could, quote, make the pie higher. Everybody's little slice gets bigger without taking any more from anybody else. Now, if that could happen, that would be great, but that's not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. That's not something that we, oh, sure, if we just eliminate all the jobs and have lots of robots, everybody will be happy. 
because, uh, for example, the economist Paul Krugman pointed this out in a New York Times column in December 2012, where he said, quote, smart machines may make higher GDP possible, so higher gross domestic product, but also reduce the demand for people, including smart people. So we could be looking at a society that grows ever richer, but in which all the gains in wealth accrue to whoever owns the robots. <laughs> So, yeah, and Gary I need Marcus. to go out and buy a robot, guys. And Gary yeah. Marcus also pointed this out in his New Yorker piece. So, what do you do if you have a society that's creating ridiculous amounts of prosperity, but most people can't get work of any kind? Mm-hmm. Or enjoy that prosperity at all. Yeah. yeah. And so, here's where I think we might earn <laughs> some hate mail, but we're going to have to say it because I think it's the logical conclusion. Could it be that advances in automation will make some really major form of wealth redistribution or socialism necessary in the future if we want to have a stable society? Yeah. I think that's possible. And even if you're very, very opposed to socialism currently, you might not be in this scenario because I want to highlight a few things. People are usually opposed to socialism because they believe – For one thing, it discourages productivity. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are sure that you can get help uh, and that you always have a net to fall back on, it gives you less incentive to work hard at your job and create wealth. Mm -hmm. Well, this doesn't really matter if you have a robotic workforce. Right. You don't need an incentive to work harder. Uh, There's there's no there's nowhere to work harder in the first place. Right. 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 Uh, What about the argument that it's not fair to take hard earned money from from workers? Yeah. I mean, that that could make sense to a lot of people today. But at the same time, it doesn't really make sense anymore. If you're imagining a society where more than 90 percent of people literally cannot make money through labor and the society is replete with extra wealth. So there's just tons and tons to go around, and most people have no way of getting it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then on top of that, let's talk about a world where, because we might imagine a dystopian future in which you've got this this tiny elite that of controls... robot owners. Of robot owners that control all the wealth, and then everybody else. Well, if everybody else is genuinely unemployed, as in there is no way for them to earn income then you have no consumers. You have no customers. You have you no have, one buying all of the products that the robots are making so industriously. Right. So there's no reason for robots to make anything because there's no buying power to purchase the things. I mean, unless you're making it's them for... It's all just the three families that yeah. own all the robots trading stuff back so and forth. Unless those three <laughs> families just want to see the rest of the world wither away, it, it makes it's, it's not a supportable mm-hmm. system. It, it ultimately would crumble in on itself. So at some point, some sort of redistribution is absolutely necessary because otherwise you have no consumption. Yeah. Redistribution or other ideas that make people uncomfortable in the same way, like a sort of centrally planned economy, uh, you know, examples of which would be things like communism. But this wouldn't be like communism. It would be the fact that, well, I guess we would call it something like we have collective ownership of our robot workforce Mm -hmm. and uh, the proceeds of what these robots generate are split up equally among everybody in the country. Yeah. uh, One other issue that I thought was interesting uh, was the psychological burden that this places on people. The idea that you get some sense of purpose from your job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess that that depends 
upon each individual, right? I mean, it all depends on who you are and what job you have. Uh, I know I get a lot of satisfaction out of my job, and I, I find a lot of purpose in it. And the thought of not having that certainly is one of those where you start to question what would you do to give yourself purpose. And this is another one of those areas where I think we would say, you know, we don't know. We're we're inventive people, and it's very possible that we would have uh, each individual comes up with his or her own purpose mm-hmm. and becomes a, a, a def- you know something they define for him or herself. And uh, uh, I kind of like that idea. I don't know if that's actually realistic or not. I mean, not being in that world, it makes it very difficult for me to draw a conclusion. Uh, well, the only examples that we have of, of anything this this stark is science fiction. I yeah, mean, stuff yeah. like Star Trek, for example, has this kind of utopian society in which it, it's a it's a post uh, post economic yeah, world, yeah, yeah. I guess. At least at least. Post scarcity, yeah. right, right. Definitely. You know, we should post-scarcity. we should yeah. do an episode all about Star Trek and the economics, guys. That should be the very next episode we do: the Star Trek economy. I totally agree, and it's really convenient because we already have notes typed up for it. <laughs> Don't so, peek behind the curtain. <laughs> I guess that wraps up robots for today. Yeah, uh-huh. but yeah. join us next time where we're actually going to tackle something that's been asked for multiple times by fans. Uh, the Star Trek economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does it work, and can we put it in place? <laughs> and boy, was that a fun one to research. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this this was a really fascinating topic, and I mean, it is one that clearly is important, and it obvi- it has has a real impact on real people. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and I think that there's still room for optimism. I, I kind of side with the 52 percent of that of that Pew study, uh, but I think it's one of those things that we do have to keep in mind in order for that optimism to remain realistic. Absolutely, yeah. It- if if we were replaced by robotic podcasters, would you guys go all Luddite on them? I mean, would you Ooh. destroy those robots? Um, I mean, to be fair, I've suspected Josh Clark of being a robot for like the last five years. <laughs> there is no robot on Earth that could equal the badness of your puns. I think your job is safe. That's true. That is an extremely human feature. Yes. I did make the have entire. You ever, have you ever read where the robots tried to write <laughs> jokes? They're so bad they at it, really but awful. they're not as bad as yours. Yeah, the, the editorial Aww. department as a whole groaned at one of my puns last week. So that was that was a proud day for yeah, me. It was like eight people in yeah, unison. Yeah, yeah, in unison. It was, it was, it was great. It was I don't fantastic. even remember what it was, but it was beautiful. I, I remember specifically. I'll tell you after the podcast. So we're going to wrap this up. Guys, if you have any suggestions for future topics, I mean, this was a listener suggestion and it was so much fun. Yeah. If you have a suggestion, send us an email. Our address is fwthinking at HowStuffWorks.com or drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Google Plus. At Twitter and Google Plus, we are FW Thinking. At Facebook, just type in FW Thinking and the search bar will pop right up. Leave us a message, let us know what you think, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.